We're back. It's been a long time, Chuck. Real Talk with Chuck and Pam, our podcast. Where have we been? I don't know. Busy. Watching movies. Interviewing people. We've been, we have been busy. We have been busy. And speaking of interviewing people, instead of doing our usual banter back and forth mm-hmm. and, and very witty commentary about different movies One that are coming sided, out. One-sided, usually, yeah. Yes, yeah, my I'm side. Right, yes, I'm very down. familiar with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd like to share with people an interview that I recently had with the writer and director as well as the star and editor and producer of a new film based on a true story called The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. Uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and listen to that. Enrico Natale, David Medell, thank you so much for joining me to talk about your new film, The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain. Before we delve into this harrowing, chilling, based upon real life drama, I want to backtrack a little bit. I would love for both of you, um, Enrico, let's let's start with you to tell me about Redbird Entertainment. This is an entity that I knew nothing about. <laughs> yes. So uh, Redbird Entertainment is uh, the production company that uh, David and I are both partners at, along with a few other uh, members of the company as well. Uh, we started it to kind of inspire change and, and create content uh, that, that makes a difference in, in, the, in, the, in this country and in this planet. So, um, and uh, Killing a Kenneth Chamberlain is really one of the first major projects that we have releasing. Um, and so we're, we're coming out with a bang. Yes, you are. Um, <laughs> David, tell me a little bit about your role within Redbird. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we all kind of serve different different purposes and contribute different things to the company. Uh, one, one of the things that I, the primary way that I contribute is by bringing content to the table. Um, you know, Enrico and I have been working together for several, for several years now, kind of developing stories, writing. Uh, typically, I have served as a uh, writer-director. Um, and Enrico and I are able to kind of take, uh, you know, as we've done with several true stories at this point, we're able to kind of take a true story subject and together craft a story, craft characters, uh, craft a narrative arc. And then I will kind of go in and, and translate that story and narrative arc into, you know, a feature screenplay. So let's go ahead and talk about this real life situation. I believe it happened back in 2011, although for some reason, I feel like it was just a couple of years ago. I think that one just left such an indelible image in my mind. Um, Tell me why you chose this particular story, because unfortunately there are so many similar stories out there. Right, right. There's, there's, I mean, it's, it's become all too common tragically. Um, But I, uh, this this story resonated with me personally for a number of different reasons. Um, I was reading a lot. You know, this was sometime I think in 2016, 2017. I was reading a lot about um, cases of uh, alleged institutional racism and discrimination in law enforcement, uh, implicit bias, and police brutality. And I found Kenneth Chamberlain Sr.'s story, uh, and it it resonated with me in a powerful way for a couple different reasons. Um, I'm on the autism spectrum myself, uh, and I have worked. Uh, I've worked for years in crisis management-related fields. Uh, I've, I was a special education teacher for years, working with individuals with emotional and behavioral disorders. Okay. And uh, one thing that we had to do working in that field, as well as being somebody on the autism spectrum, was go through very extensive crisis management training. Uh, we we needed to learn how to how to interact with somebody suffering from a mental health crisis in a way that kept them safe, 
kept us safe and kept everyone else around the situation safe. Uh, very, there's very specific methodologies, strategies, protocols for, uh, for those kinds of things to ensure that everyone is treated with dignity and respect and that everyone is, is safe, is, is that the situation is de-escalated safely. And it was just so blatantly clear to me that the officers who responded to, to this call with Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. were completely, uh, tragically misguided and ill-prepared for what they had to do. So that's really why it resonated personally with me. And that's why I wanted to tell this story. I want to go to Enrico. Your um, character in the film has a backstory of being a middle school teacher. Tell me about taking on that role and how maybe that resonated personally with you and whether or not it was based on a real character. Yeah, well, I mean, taking on that role was, uh, it was something that, you know, I've, I've I have a degree in theater acting and I've been acting uh, the majority of my career. Uh, I've known David since college. Um, we have a very uh, good trusted relationship. We're obviously uh, creative partners. Um, so it was, a lot of it was when I read the script, I was blown away. Uh, it was just as good on paper as it is. Um, and when people watch it now, and uh, when I spoke to uh, David, I said, we absolutely need to make this film, but I really want to play Rossi. Um, and it was because I, I resonated with that character in a way that I felt like I could, um, he was the voice of the audience. He was the, the feeling of what the audience was going to go through. And I really, really wanted to, to, to take on that role and, and, and capture that, that performance. And so um, thankfully, David trusted me in, in, that, in that role. And, and you know, we, we were able to do that. Um, and then in terms of the, um, the character itself, you know, I'll let David speak on this a little bit, but all of the all of the police officers were composites. They're all composites for 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 many reasons. One is particularly legal legal reasons. You know, um, we we kind of had to do that. But you know, David, if you want to talk a little bit more about that, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we yeah we decided to to fictionalize all of the officers. We didn't use any real names or or actual likenesses, and we composited several of them. Um, uh, that being said, you know, while all of the identities of the officers are fictionalized, uh, the dialogue and the actions that the police officer characters take is all either lifted directly from the documentation that exists or inspired by the documentation that exists. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, that was one of my questions as I was watching this and knowing that it was a true story, how much was actually recorded were there body cams back then i mean how much yeah. how much was recorded yeah they, they so the white plains police department was not using body cams at the time the little bit of of visual uh evidence that exists of video evidence was taken from a camera that was mounted on the taser that they used okay. uh against kenneth chamberlain seniors there's not a lot of video because uh, they really only had that taser on for a short period of time. There's more audio, but uh, you know the entire incident wasn't recorded. Okay. Um, there are sections of the incident that were recorded. There are there, there's a lot of recording of what Kenneth Chamberlain himself said, especially what he said to the medical attendant uh, who worked for the medical monitoring company, because all of those calls were recorded. Right. But there's not a whole lot of evidence of the actual interactions between the police officers themselves. And there's only a certain amount of evidence of actual audio visual evidence of the interactions between Kenneth and the officers. There was definitely some that we could pull from, 
But there are portions of the incident where there is no official historical record. There's only the police officer's story. Uh, there is the story that the residents of the building tell. Right. And then there's the forensic evidence that exists. And all three of those stories don't match. So what we ended up having to do was sort of uh, uh, take educated guesses in certain moments about what may have happened, what may have been said, and sort of you know craft some of the interactions that way. But uh, but the bottom line is that the facts are still murky. The, the facts with this case are are still debated today. The police officers have their have their version of events that they put out into the public, and that differs from both the forensic evidence and it differs from the story that the the residents of the building told. And obviously, the one person who could really tell us more than anything is deceased. Right. Um, right. You know, so we don't know. Uh, what he would have said. Tell me about casting Frankie and correct my pronunciation if I'm wrong, Faison? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, he plays Kenneth Chamberlain. He carries the film. I mean, everyone's important in this, but without his incredibly powerful, I mean, I almost, you know, bring myself to tears thinking about his performance. It was incredible the way he really hones in on the mental illness that he struggles with as well as his physical disability and the confines in which he is and his past history where he doesn't trust what's happening on the other side of the door yeah absolutely uh we we got um you know we we reached out to his manager we reached out to frankie's manager what the way we started was we kind of put a list together of actors who we thought might uh, might be interested in this type of material or might be appropriate to play the role. And he was on that list. And we we reached out to his manager, I think on a Thursday. And then the following Monday or Tuesday, very quickly, we got an email back from her saying, you know, he's interested. So that was that was really a sign of, of I think, Frankie's passion for this material was the fact that we we heard back so quickly. Right. Um, that, he, that he was really interested in this and that it that it it resonated with him. And uh he, you know, we, we knew, obviously, we had seen so many of Frankie's performances in previous films and those kinds of things. So we knew that he was going to give an incredible performance, but I, I don't think any of us realized the, the depth of commitment that he really had and the, the incredible, incredible nuance and skill that he would bring to this, to this role. I mean, we were all just absolutely in awe. And he, he so far surpassed all of our expectations, even though we knew he was going to give a great performance. Right. But it just, you know, he really set the tone for everybody on set. And we were all, we were all just absolutely in awe of his commitment to this role. It was an incredible performance. And Enrico, um, I want to talk a little bit with you about your skill in editing and, and then coordinating. I'm sure the two of you, David and Enrico, you work together because the camera angles are such that it really brings you into that room where, where Kenneth is having some difficulties with processing auditorily the information that's happening and his inside noises that he's hearing. Um, tell me about editing this because sound is really important as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and 100%, I mean, from the beginning, um, David had a, a pretty clear vision on how he wanted this story told um, in terms of uh, very handheld. I remember when we were have, having the conversation with our cinematographer and he was like, you know, I've got a steady cam and I've got some, you know, I've got some nice. And he was like, no, no, hand, handheld, handheld, everything handheld. And he was like, 
wait, what? <laughs> and he's like, no, handheld. Everything's handheld. And, yeah. And, you know, even I, in the beginning was like, oh, we can do this cool slow motion shot here. And he's like, no, handheld. Uh, just, just all real time, all real time. And it, and it works wonderfully because of that. So it was very clear from the beginning what we were going after. And we, we held on to that um, the entire time. So yeah, all those, those claustrophobic moments um, really added. And when you came into uh, the post-production and cutting that together, I mean, it was tough. I mean, it was definitely a, a, a dance of trying to figure out the, the right shots and cutting to the right things. And, you know, um, as the movie goes on, um, it, it, it kind of speeds up in intensity. Right. Um, and it's just kind of like you, you slowly put your foot on the gas. And by the end, it's just a uh, foot to the floor kind of um, and that's in the editing as well, you know, by in the beginning, you're holding on shots of Frankie kind of just like moving around and right. it's just like a longer shot. And by the end, you're rapid fire editing, cutting every half second, every second you're cutting to di different shots to feel the energy and the pacing of that. So that was all by design. You know, David and I worked very hard to to, you know, make sure that um, that feeling was there for the, for the whole prop process of, of the editing process and then sound design yeah i mean you know it, it's funny because i think most independent films um that kind of can transcend the indie film market are because they they have focused on sound and music and made that a particular um you know that has to be at the highest quality to be considered a a, a real movie right? right and and i feel like uh, you know we had an incredible team and we worked very hard with them. And, and I think that um, we, we, we did an excellent job of, of making sure people felt the hits, the noises, the, you know, all of that was, was you know, by design. We, we wanted people to really feel and hear all of those noises that Ken Chamberlain Sr. must have gone through himself. Right, and, and at times it was almost overwhelming for me, and I'm not even in it, but I felt like I was in it thanks to that great editing, sound design, camera angles. I mean, it's the whole nine yards. Did either of you in, in creating this story talk with the family members at all? Yeah, they, they've, uh, the, the Chamberlain family's really been involved since the very, very beginning. Uh, you know, back in 2016, 2017, when I, when I first found Kenneth Chamberlain Sr.'s story, the first thing I did was reach out to the family uh, because it, it, it wouldn't have felt right to move forward with a film like this without having the family's blessing, having the family on board, and having the family, you know, participate in any uh, in any any profits or revenue that the, that the film generates. It just wouldn't feel right to do that right. without the family's involvement. So um, the Chamberlain family, particularly Kenneth Chamberlain Jr., who is the son of Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. has been involved since the very, very beginning. The script was really de derived from the conversations that we were having with, with, with him, the documentation that he was able to send us, um, the, you know, the news reports that we were able to find. Um, members of the Chamberlain family came out to set. Um, they were able to come out to set and meet the cast and crew, which was, I think, a, a really great experience, both for them and for the cast and crew, because it was kind of mutually beneficial. It, it gave the cast and crew a, a, a deeper sense of responsibility, I think, that this is a real story. This is not, it's not just completely from our, our imaginations. And I think it was, it was, it was great for the Chamberlain family to, to meet some of the cast and crew and, and understand that they are taking it very seriously, that this is not 
you know, this is not a situation where we're trying to exploit this story for money or anything like that, that we are really treating this with the respect that it deserves. And uh, so they've, they've been really, really involved since the very beginning. Okay, very good. Um, you know, I'm curious, you know, and again, as I said before, it's crazy to me to think that 10 years has gone by since this happened. Um, this is, you know, playing, I don't know, playing God, looking into a crystal ball. What do you think, do you think that this same situation would have happened in the same way now as it did 10 years ago? Do you think there's been any changes in, in mental health understanding from a police officer's perspective? Is there better training and understanding, um, especially given you said that your background was, was uh, what it was? Sure, sure. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to say, but I, I, I don't know if, if the same type of thing were to happen today, I don't know if the outcome would have been the same, but you do see, I mean, you see incidents like this, you hear all the time about, uh, you know, people suffering from mental health issues, uh, many, many of whom are also people of color, right. who are, you know, very disproportionately likely to be injured or killed by police officers. Uh, that being said, there are positive steps that are beginning to happen. Um, there are more departments and more cities that are mandating uh, that um, calls like this, medical emergency calls or mental health disturbance calls, that the first responders are no longer police officers, right. that the first responders would be trained social workers or, or medical personnel, paramedics, you know, the, 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 those kinds of people who are really more appropriate to respond to these kinds of things because, you know, police officers, you know, we, we can't necessarily ask police officers to not only, not only be police officers, but be psychologists, right social workers as well you know the question the question could be be asked not not only are we training police officers adequately are police departments recruiting the right types of people for those jobs but also are we expecting too much of police officers right. you know are, are they expected to handle too wide a variety of different types of calls they can't possibly be experts at everything right. so right. i think all of those questions are starting to be asked which are really really important and that was the goal of the film all along to ask questions like that i do think that if if we if that same situation were to happen today the biggest difference is that all of the neighbors would have cell phones yeah. filming <laughs> it they would have body cam filming this and maybe maybe that would make the police officers act differently maybe that would make them respond differently to the situation we don't know um, i don't know if necessarily there's been a lot of uh, major improvement um in that field which is why this story is still relevant which is why this is still something that uh, speaks to the nation right now because we're still going through it. This is yeah. still 10 years later, and this feels like something that could have happened a month ago. I think you know news, news just came out last week that the, the congressional talks about the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, are they completely broke down. So that piece of legislation, which would be very helpful in instituting uh, you know, accountability measures, the talks completely broke down. So it's, it's just, you know, it's another sign that we are not, you know, the, this, this fight is not over, right. um, this, this fight for law enforcement reform. Well, I appreciate you both telling this story. It was, it was disturbingly gripping and so poignant and so well done. Um, 
it's truly a must see for everyone this year. Um, but you are working on more films. As I looked at your website, you've got another one in production, another one in post-production, and I think maybe one in pre-production. I don't know. Tell, tell us what your next steps are. Sure. Yeah, no, we, we have a, you know, our company's staying busy for sure. And, and we, we have a, a lot of different projects. We have a, a couple of documentaries that we're working on. Uh, one deals almost directly with this um, situation that we're really, um, it's going to be incredibly powerful. Um, and we, we can't wait for that one to come out. We have uh, a few television shows that we're also, um, you know, gearing up to to try to get out there. And uh, one of them is is very much in the in, in, in still in the same vein of this, um, that is got a lot of movement right now. We're very excited about. And then as well as David and I have um, other feature films that we have developed all in the true story realm, some, some different genres, some not, some the same kind of journalistic approach of telling these stories that we feel very confident in, in that style and what we can do there. So we're very excited about them and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, just continue to stay busy and making content that we feel can hopefully inspire change and, and make a difference. Fantastic. Enrico and David, thank you for bringing this film um, to everyone to uh, be able to see. How can people see this movie now? Uh, pick your pick your VOD platform. It's, <laughs> and I think it's pretty much available on any, any VOD platform that you can rent or buy films on. The film should be available. So, uh, you know, Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, Spectrum, Xfinity, Google Play, etc. The yeah. list goes on with those, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. it's, in, yeah. it's in select theaters right now, but it won't be for, for too much longer. Um, and then uh, at some point at around the end of November, beginning of December, it'll go to a, a major streamer as well. Okay. But we can't we can't announce that. So we can't right. we can't tell you which one. But uh, mum's the word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's lots of ways, but yeah, we you know, obviously for us. Um, if people are moved and people, um, you know, we're, we're a small movie trying to do big things. We do feel like this film has uh, the potential. We feel like Frankie Faison gives an Oscar caliber performance in this. And, and we want um, we want people to take notice of this uh, for so many reasons. But, um, you know, the, the primary one is Ken Chamberlain Sr.'s name uh, deserves to be known. Yes. Um, and what happened. And uh, we feel as filmmakers, we have a sense of a duty to to make sure that this film can get as far a far reaching hands as possible because you know we 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 know how much Kenneth Chamberlain Jr. and the Chamberlain family has struggled over the last ten years and and uh, this was a hard thing for him. Imagine him watching this film. Imagine him going through this and like uh, you know it, he was very brave to let us tell this story and we really hope that the story can inspire change and, and have those conversations. So again, you know, Pamela, we thank you for, for taking the time to, to interview us as well. And please keep me posted on your next film that comes out. Um, I would love to stay in touch and movies can be meaningful. And thank you for doing that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining us on Real Talk with Chuck and Pam to listen to this incredible interview. I hope you take the time to watch this movie and take something away from it. Take care, everyone.